What did you say this room was called? Sacrificial chamber. Hello and welcome back to Best Forgotten Movies, the podcast about the films at times sacrificed for the hunt. I'm your co-host Gareth Green and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time sexual predator, Andrew Phillips. Hello there. And today we're tackling not one but two great monster movie franchises as we face Alien v Predator. Will we survive our clash with these two genre titans? Find out after the trailer. Seven days ago, one of my satellites over in Antarctica discovered a pyramid. Where exactly on the ice is this? It's not on the ice. It's 2,000 feet under it. Let's make history. Oh my god. Whoever built this pyramid believed in ritual sacrifice. Did you hear that? What did you say this room was called? Sacrificial chamber. This door is all here. This whole thing was a trap. They're not hunting us. We're in the middle of a war. They're using us as bait. When taking on one of the most respectable science fiction monster series, and Predator, what immense talent did 20th Century Fox bring in to direct this epic alien clash? The man who brought us Blade Runner? Oh no, no, pass on him, we've got better than that. <laughs> How about the guy who directed the Terminator? Him, he's small fry. From the creative mind that brought us Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil comes Alien vs Predator. Whoever wins, we lose. And fuck you, Tom Rothman. <laughs> so why have we nominated Alien vs. Predator for consideration on Best Forgotten Movies? It's not Aliens vs. Predator, it's Alien v. 
Predator, isn't it, this one? AVP. Well, I think it's clear why we have nominated it. It was a spin-off franchise that came out. It was really kind of the bottom of the barrel for both franchises involved. And both the Alien series and the Predator series has now moved past it. Or is in the process of moving beyond it. Well, it's just tossed it aside, really, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, this series is tossed. It's pure jizz. <laughs> A-grade. Ugh. Well, I mean, it seemed to be for a while. I mean, in the early to mid 2000s, at least, that this was alien. Like, this is all we were getting. Yeah. That was quite disappointing. But ever since, even Predators, ever since that came out, and then you get Prometheus coming out, all this kind of stuff has just been. Oh, yeah, it's just that thing that's over there. Yeah, it's now. become a bit of a the Wolfman meets Frankenstein's monster, that kind of like hammer horror clash, which was really the death knell of the universal monsters as well. Yeah. I think it's because it was briefly canon. And now it's no longer canon. Well, they said it was canon. They really tried to shoehorn it in there as canon. But I, I always remember that there was some discrepancies because even Paul W.S. Anderson said he didn't actually view the film as canon. He viewed it as a spin-off, but Fox, or Tom Rothman in particular, really kind of tried to push it mm. as being the bridge between both series. It's a sequel to Predator and a prequel to Alien. <laughs> so, Andy, do you have any experience with Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Acid Blood? Or is this your first rodeo with the beast? Uh, this is my first viewing of it because even at that age, I knew that it was going to be a massive pile of shit and yeah. wasn't worth my time. Which is good job, Fox, because you made somebody who actually really liked the Alien films not want to go and see your movie. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that's like, apart from Kramer versus Kramer and People versus Larry <laughs> Flint, there's no other film with the word V in that I think is any good. I think there is probably one. And this is a controversial opinion, maybe. I don't know how the horror scene is when it comes to these things, but I very much enjoyed Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> I thought it capitalised on both series quite well, and they uh, complemented each other in a good way. It got very trashy at the end when they actually started fighting each other, but that was like the capper to two series that were inherently trashy. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, there was nothing to ruin there, and instead they really played up the goofy, schlocky elements. Yeah, yeah. And it came off a lot better than it should have been. It wasn't anything that you would write home about but yeah. it was much better than it had any right to be yeah but i can't think of another verse film that um even comes close now and the recent batman v superman hammers that point home oh definitely it's not changing any minds that one no Alien vs Predator is a film that I like I guess emotionally tied to in some way when it first came out I was uh, very much on board with this film I liked the AVP franchise I had played the games I had played the arcade game and beat it I always remember that that was great I had a little crowd around me as I actually beat an arcade game it was fantastic So, yeah, Alien vs. Predator, I really quite liked it, and I thought that you could make a good AVP film at that time in my life. That's what I genuinely thought. And then this came out. For a while, I kind of... I didn't defend it, but I tried to like it more than I did because (laughs) it was like, that's all we were being given at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I do have some history with this film, and it was somewhat enlightening to come around and watch it again after spending so many years without it, really. (laughs) And uh, Because it's weird, because Did you miss it? I didn't. I did not (laughs) miss it. And Paul W.S. Anderson is a director that... I think W.S. Stanley for Wankshaft. (laughs) Wanker shit. He was a director that, again, I wouldn't say I championed, but I just (laughs) wanted to come good. You know, it was like, you like all of the things that I like. You get involved with all of the franchises that I seem to have some kind of affinity towards. Stop fucking it up. 
You know, yeah. it's it's like I really want to like you. You come across as a nice guy in interviews. And when I was younger, I was like, maybe this next one, this yeah. next one will be good. He likes Resident Evil. He made Event Horizon, which is like essentially Hellraiser in space. But he played games like Mortal Kombat. He was a gamer, a sci-fi nerd, an alien nerd, a predator nerd. It was like you are saying all the right things right now. Why don't your films reflect that? Yeah, it's like you're doing all the right stuff, but you're just not very good. Yeah, like you're just not a good filmmaker. Yeah, and it doesn't matter whether you like all this stuff. If you can't translate that love into something that works, then why are you doing this? Yeah, and he keeps getting away with it as well. I think just because of the kind of genres that he's dealing with, he's one of those directors that just about gets away with it every single time. Yeah, and I think the reason that he just about gets away with it, and this is something that we will probably talk about when we get into Alien vs Predator, but I think he's genuinely good with maximizing a very small budget. Mm. If you just leave him to his own devices with a small budget, he'll make a film that looks probably twice its budget mm. and still be shit, but it won't take much to turn over a quick book. So, I mean, just before we move on, do you have like any background with the Alien vs. Predator franchise? No, again, it's something that didn't really interest me. I say I I'm not really interested with anything worse. It says something v. versus yeah. something. And yeah, I think at the time I wasn't, I was into Alien, but I wasn't into Predator yeah at all yeah i mean i'm still very much a peripheral predator fan i mean i've seen all the films but i'm not like an avid fan of the predator mm -hmm. series so i do like the concept i just think after the first film and i said obviously we've done predator 2 in one of the earlier podcasts which i quite like despite its many flaws it's not something that i'm like i actively go and watch not like the alien films where i watch the documentaries and i watch the films regularly and yeah so having the two combined and i was like maybe this is something that should just be confined to other media yes like comic books and computer games because it could be a neat premise mm -hmm. but the way that it's been put together it's inherently b-movie-esque it is and um yeah i think we will get into that very shortly as we actually start to begin to discuss the many 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 flaws of avp mm. but yeah like i said before i do have some experience i also read the comic book the original 1989 comic book which i still have it was uh, one of the first comic books i remember buying myself yeah i, I liked it a lot but again i also also agree with you that i think that this franchise is one that if it does work at all it only works in other medium and i say i still have the same opinion of some comic book stuff as well where it's like yeah it works so well on the comic book but it works so well because it's written for that particular mm -hmm. medium yeah and like i said some comic book characters do work fine on the big screen or even the small screen but then there's others that just look a bit shit yeah they can't step up to that plate mm -hmm. being say something that's a list and again this is something that tries to step up to the plate but it just is inherently so b-movie-esque it can't break beyond i mean i think you could have made something good out of this if you'd had a better filmmaker involved mm -hmm. a better writer involved it could have been quite interesting but i think just because of the the lack of ambition it's not even a good b movie <laughs> yeah i think that's one of the uh, the greatest flaws of the film yeah but, but again i i think we'll get into it later because there is something mm. we have to go through first which mm. is what we do on best forgotten movies as many of our listeners know is we like to set the scene yeah so how did this series come to be it's time for an alien vs predator history lesson and to begin that we have to talk about the aforementioned 1989 comic book yeah which was later adapted into a a novel called AVP Prey, which I also bought and read. I was quite a nerd for this franchise in my youth. <laughs> 
I remember seeing it all around. Yeah. But yeah, at the time I thought, oh, this is just something that's going to be confined to that medium. <laughs> but the thing is, even when I think about it now, when I think about Alien vs. Predator, it still feels very 90s to me. And so, yeah, 1989, the Alien vs. Predator comic book is released. From what I can tell you of it, it's very much like what happened to Hadley's Hope with yeah, a yeah. predator thrown in the mix. Yeah, that that yeah. is essentially the story. A colony, much like Hadley's Hope, on a desert planet is chosen as a sacrifice for the hunt. And it's got some really cool scenes in it that are very fanboyish, but it, again, it's very schlocky. And it doesn't do much different with either franchise. But I quite like it. I mm. still go back to it every now and again and have a flick through. And that actually uh, came out before Predator 2. And somebody on the crew, somebody probably at Stan Winston Studios, decided as a nice little nod to the Alien vs. Predator comic book, they would include the alien skull in yeah. the trophy cabinet in Predator 2. And I think that's in many audience members' minds where the Alien vs. Predator franchise was born for them. Yeah. Even though the comic book came out beforehand. Yeah, yeah. So they hired Peter Briggs, a sci-fi writer. I can't remember what else he's written. He's another screenwriter. And from 1990 to 1991, he began work on an adaption of the comic book, which he successfully pitched to 20th Century Fox before they actually began work on Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. And for a short time, it was like, oh, which one are they going to make? And they eventually made Alien Resurrection. And I imagine because Sigourney Weaver was a much more bankable star and there were still question marks hanging over yeah, Alien yeah. vs. Predator as a brand name. And so they made Alien Resurrection, and it was a capper to that series, I guess. After that, James Cameron and Ridley Scott actually began work on a still-untitled Alien 5 project, which Fox passed on in order to pursue the Peter Briggs version of Alien vs. Predator. That's bonkers. It's unbelievable that's, to that's think about. bonkers. I think it's one of those things, though, where it's a studio that's like, they own both properties, so there's no problem with, like, rights or anything. Yeah. It's like, ooh, what can we do to capitalize on these two things that we've got? Mm -hmm. Let's put them together. The the thing is, I think, with both Ridley Scott and James Cameron, is that that is a film that would have taken money and time and... I guess quality would have been at the forefront of their mind. It could have been down to the problems that they was having with the studio over Titanic. Yeah. That was also the reason why they passed they, on they Terminator. They passed on Terminator, yeah. yeah. But I think it was actually Ridley Scott who was going to direct with a James Cameron script. Yeah. And that was going to be the collaboration. Yeah. Which uh, sounds great on yeah. paper. Yeah. It sounds like a dream team. <sighs> That's depressing, isn't it? That we got this instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know there was um, that thing where it was bubbling under at the time when they were doing Alien Resurrection. And yeah. Sigourney Weaver didn't want anything to do with it because mm-hmm. she thought it was a dumb idea. Which, yeah. in retrospect, it kind of is a dumb idea, it, really. It is completely a dumb idea. It is inherently a dumb idea, really. Mm. So, yeah, once 20th Century Fox had passed on the collaboration between Scott and Cameron, they still hit a roadblock with Peter Briggs' script because, mm-hmm. one, it was deemed as being too expensive, and, two, producer John Davis from the Predator series actually didn't want to set it out in space. I think the idea was that it would be cheaper to set it on Earth. Mm. And so that was the thinking. I mean, they apparently passed on many different variations of the script that came through their door. I think they said something like seven or eight writers that they had with different pitches and different tackles at the series. But nobody really came close and nobody wanted to really set it on Earth. Enter Paul W.S. Anderson, Anderson, who said that he'd been working on this pitch for eight years. He'd been working on the script in his mind for eight years. This is the version that he'd always wanted to make. Little things amuse small minds. 
I remember that in his pitch meeting, he actually commissioned some artwork from the uh, Creature Effects filmmaker Patrick Totopoulos. Yeah. And uh, you can still view them on the DVD or the Blu-ray or Mm -hmm. um, online, actually, in one of the making of featurettes. The really striking pieces of work, all of which seem far more action-packed than the film we received. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he successfully pitched his version of AVP to John Davis and to 20th Century Fox. And uh, so began work on AVP. I think they also hired Shane Salerno. Is that how you say his name? The writer? The screenwriter, yeah, he came yeah. in to help rewrite the script and I think also to kind of tour the scripts more towards the studio's liking. Mm-hmm. So that's really how this film came to be. That's a short history lesson of AVP. I mean, all the while this was happening in the film world, like I say, we still had comic books, video games, novels, toys, and a whole lot of other Alien vs. Predator merchandise mm-hmm. coming yeah, through yeah. the door. So this was a profitable series before they even decided to make a film. Profitable. Profitable. So really, that is the history. I think we've set the scene now. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very brief crash course in Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> So, uh, an advert from Best Forgotten Movies here, just a little appeal and to keep our fans updated. Oh, wow, a first. Yeah. To help us continue to keep the lights on at Best Forgotten Movies HQ, we're launching a new series of movie commentaries under the name The Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Currently, we have recorded commentaries for Spectre and Alien Resurrection with more to come. This content will be available to any of our fans that donate to our Patreon account found in this podcast description and on our Twitter and Facebook pages. So, now back to the show. And now it's time to move on to actually begin talking about the film. Andy, what did you make of Paul W.S. Anderson's AVP? Fucking hated it. Yeah? Really hated it. Don't mince your words. I thought it was ridiculously shallow, dumb, cold, and not a lot of fun. I think that those are the three phrases to describe yeah. the film. Dumb, cold, and not a lot of fun. I mean, I would say that's my issue with it, is that... It's um, not entertaining. Yeah, even a schlock. It's, it's, it's a slog to get through. Yeah, there's not much schlock there to enjoy. Yeah. Like I say, when I first saw this film, I wanted to enjoy it, but it was not a film that I did particularly enjoy. I don't know, I think there are some earlier scenes and some build-up that work in a schlock way, but actually, even when the aliens and predators begin fighting, it somehow becomes duller. Mm. You know, it's like it doesn't even work in, in that kind of way, in that kind of base schlock way. Mm. And every single promise that the idea of the franchise makes is undone in this film. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is not a particular favourite of mine, and I would actually say that it's um, both this and its sequel are the Nadir of either franchise oh yeah 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 we're not holding back here no this no. is a this is going to be a brutal clash of heads i mean the thing is it's gonna be brutal deconstruction but there's not much to deconstruct in the first place yeah and that's partly the problem because there's not a lot to it doesn't make you invest in anything therefore the whole process is very boring yeah because you're not on the edge of your seat going oh what's going to happen here it's like oh yeah this happens. That looks shit. Um, <laughs> it's like, that character's shit. Like, everything's just surface level, but not even the surface is good. Yeah. It's probably one of the worst films I've ever seen for not caring about the development of its characters at all. Doesn't, yeah. Doesn't even try. It's not even interested in its characters. 
all the films you can admire them for trying and not and failing. Yeah. But this film doesn't even bother trying because it doesn't think it's important enough. And you know what problem I really have with this film on a character level? And again, we have many problems with this film on many different levels. But it's one that is a mistake that's continually made when making these type of studio cash grab type of movies. Mm. And we'll speak of another one next week as well. But (laughs) if you actually showed me a picture of the cast list, which was released, like uh, I think they did a recreation of the aliens photo with Ripley stood at the front and the entire group behind them. But if uh, you showed me that photo, I could tell you who would live and die by the end of it by just like a a single nod. You know, (laughs) she's Ripley. She's going to survive. Yeah, that's it. And um, that's about it, really. Yeah. Everybody else is... Um, you know when you watched Prometheus and you said there are too many characters and many of them are just background and uh, you don't really get to know them or anything like that? You can tell they're just cannon fodder. Imagine a film in which its primary characters are those characters. Yeah. <laughs> that is Alien <laughs> vs. Predator. I mean, the characterization in, in Prometheus is, is masterful compared to this. Yeah. The main problem with Prometheus is that it does have some compelling characters, but just not enough of them. Yeah. And again, even those compelling characters have flaws that make them don't work, but at least they're there. Mm-hmm. But with this, there's absolutely nothing. I've never seen a film where there's so little in the characters. And every single line in the film lands with a wet thud. Yeah, it's, it's a big wet fart. It, it is. It truly is. It's a very acidic fart. Oh, one of those hot, <laughs> sulfury kind of farts. Yeah, one of those invisible acidic farts <laughs> but cuts through you like a knife. Oh, but one of my favourite lines in the film, actually, is when Charles Bishop Wayland gathers his group of specialists to look at pictures that are clearly of a pyramid. It's a 3D heat map, so you can see it. And he says, oh, my uh, my experts tell me it's a pyramid. And it's like, yeah, well- <laughs> You didn't need experts to tell you that. I could have told you that. Yeah. Yeah, it's full of lines like that. And lines which I imagine that the writer, Paul W.S. Anderson, and and I guess Shane Salerno, thought were clever, like the idea of calling scientists beakers. Oh, did you get that in your version? The scientists are referred to as beakers. No, no. You watched the unrated. I I watched watched the the unrated version, which adds an extra eight minutes to the build-up of the film, which only serves to pad it out and pace it just a touch better because uh, the version you watch is very choppy indeed. It's stuff like uh, they call the scientists beakers because it's much like the character from the Muppets. In fact, there's only one line in the whole film that I liked. Oh, which one was that? There's one line of dialogue in the whole film that Mm -hmm. I actually liked. And it's the bit where they find the Predator guns. Oh. And uh, the guy says it's a bit like finding Moses' DVD collection. <laughs> and I thought that was a really good line. And well, the only line that I remember from the whole film that actually like stuck in my mind. I suppose if you throw the dart enough, you're going to hit the board once. Yeah. And uh, this film is throwing the dart constantly blindfolded. Yeah, it's just a little nugget in a sea of shit. <laughs> One of the things I have to speak about when in regards to the writing of this film is it that, was written. Is that Paul W. Anderson and Shane Salerno are not actually the only not two writers. Predators writers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the scaffolders that just happen to be on set. I think this is a, a, a film that could have believably been written on napkins, toilet paper. Yeah, used toilet paper. Yeah. Here's a script. Unravels it. Unrolls yeah. it. <laughs> We're working on it. The last two hours. <laughs> Yeah, they're not actually the only two writers credited for the film because uh, Dan O'Bannon and um, Ronald Schusser actually um, have a story credit. Or was it an afternoon tea with biscuits? Yeah. I think. (laughs) Well, they didn't actually work on the film in any capacity whatsoever. Dark horror. Yeah, exactly. 
one of the things that people say about Alien vs Predator, or I guess an extension, Prometheus, is that Prometheus and Alien vs Predator share a few of the same plot points. Mm-hmm, they do. Which, yes, they absolutely do. But one of the things that people often neglect to mention is that Paul Davis Anderson and Shane Salerno actually borrowed a lot of their story elements from unused concepts from the original Alien. Mm-hmm. Which then Ridley Scott went on to implement in Prometheus. Yeah. And that's why they share so many of these plot elements. That's why there are hidden alien temples and yeah. things like that. I mean, even the crew meeting at the start is quite yes. similar. Yeah, it is. To the one they have in Prometheus. Only better written. Yeah. And shot. Yeah. And scored. And acted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they do share similarities, but they also share the same inspiration so much, in fact, that Alien vs. Predator had to include a after-the-fact credit for Dan Bannon and Ronald mm-hmm. Schuster, that story yeah, yeah. credit. Uh, that's how much it borrowed from these unused <laughs> concepts. So I think Ridley Scott has every right in the world to use the same concepts. Yeah. They're probably ones that he wished he had the money for back when he made Alien. Yeah, it wasn't as if this was like sacred. <laughs> no. Borrowing from this film. Yeah. Like, not that that many people actually bothered to see it anyway. Yeah, and to say that Paul Deppis Anderson actually says in an interview that this was a film that he was working on in his mind for eight years. Most of the concepts are borrowed from other writers. I don't think that's something you want to really boast about. Exactly, yeah. Like, I've been working on this piece of shit for eight years (laughs) it's a terribly written script like i say it doesn't even feel like it's been written it feels like it's um i wouldn't even say stevens is a storyboarded film because it's not got that many skillfully executed set pieces no yeah this is definitely a film that's been written on napkins (laughs) i can't (laughs) can't think of anything else like it it literally is a loo roll wipe your ass on script yeah it is oh there's one particular exchange that i really hate and it's that hunter's moon one Oh, when yeah, they're on the yeah, way to yeah. uh, Bovatoya Island, which, by the way, is built on ice, so there would not be a pyramid 2,000 feet underground. No. Because I think it's a glacier. Anyway, it's not an island. <laughs> Colin Salmon said it is, so that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and also, they're not penguins. No. But yeah, there's that Hunter's Moon exchange when they're on the way to Bovatoya Island. Yeah. I don't understand it. He said something about it being a in, Hunter's in Moon. In fact, and... I'm actually writing the script for AVP3 they, they whilst doing this podcast. I'm, I'm about halfway through. At the end of the day, this is schlock. Yeah. And it's a series that's inherently schlock, which is something that I will always have an issue with when it comes to the Alien series. Because as we were speaking about before we started recording, is that the Alien series is one in which the filmmakers strived to not make a B-movie. They tr- yeah. strived not to make a schlock movie. And what they made was a film with depth and subtext in which the alien was a part of that, an effective part of that world. And by the time you get to AVP, this is the exact type of movie that they were striving not to make with Alien. Yeah. Roger Corman passed on Alien. This is the film that they probably would have made back then. Yeah. That's also one of the reasons why this is a series that can never be, because it would always mean diminishing the Alien series, in my mind, and the Alien itself. Yeah. It would always be relegating it to essentially an action film monster to do duel with somebody else it loses its subtext completely yeah. and it just becomes just another alien monster yeah because even the predator series as well i mean that's another series that's been incredibly misinterpreted which i kind of hoping that they're going to write the ship yes. with this new predator film from shane black 
the very first Predator film, it's definitely goofier than Alien, and it's a bit more cartoony, but it's not schlock. No, it isn't. It's still taken quite seriously, mm-hmm. and it's still like got genuine terror and threat and things. And it's it. executed masterfully yeah, yeah. by a really great action director yeah. in his prime. And then as soon as you get to sort of things like Predator 2 and things, they do start becoming inherently more schlocky. Yes. And it's sort of been that way ever since. And I'm just hoping that this new one, given the fact that it is Shane Black, I feel that, yeah, I think they're going to veer it back in that tone. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And the thing is, Shane Black has said at every single juncture, every time he's been interviewed, that the Predator film that he is making is going to be remarkably different from any Predator mm. film we've seen before, which is what the series needs. Yeah, because well, he even demanded the budget for it, didn't he? As exactly. Well. Like, he, they wanted to make it in the same way they've been making the other Predator films. Like this, really, like low budget, yeah. as little fuss as possible, we want our hands all over it sort of thing. And yeah. he was like, nope, if you're going to do that, I won't even do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that he sort of stuck to his guns. I just hope it doesn't get taken off him or something like that. He's essentially said that he wants to make the movie that Aliens was to Alien and with a budget more deserving of the Predator series. Mm-hmm. And uh, fingers crossed, I hope that comes good. Mm-hmm. I, I, he's a filmmaker I've been rooting for and uh, one that I, whose work I continue to yeah. enjoy. So moving back to this piece of shit. <laughs> Do we have to? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the issues I really have with this film, and it's one that I have with many of... All of uh, it? I'm, I'm gonna, that's a line that I'm going to be repeating all the way through. The issue that I have, <laughs> the flaw with this... The, because I, I do, I have issues with everything, but one that is recurring in Paul Dewis Anderson's scripts is this female role, this hard-ass Ripley clone of a role. Yeah. And he doesn't know how to write it in a way that makes the character likable. No. Because straight from the off, um, what's her name, Lex? Alexa? Lex. Yeah. Well, I'm going to call her Lieutenant Ellen Danny Glover <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> she's basically a cross between those two characters. Yes. So she's a cross between... Um, Ellen Ripley and Danny Glover's character in Predator 2. Yeah, I can see that. And it's not because she's black either. No. No, no, it isn't. I, but I don't Just think, to put that out there. Yeah. I don't think she's got a single line that endears me towards her whatsoever. And most of her exchanges only serve to make her a colder, more distant individual. Yeah. I mean, because there's one thing that I like about this film. Uh, a one thing. Well, there's a couple that I'll get into as we go on. But I like that it has an international cast. Yeah. I really like that. It's a shame that all the characters are so thin and unlikable that I just can't wait for every single one of them to die. <laughs> so all the way through the film, it's anchored by this performance that's clearly just reminding us that we could be watching Aliens. I'd say anchored is probably a little bit too generous. But. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I do feel for every actor in this because with the lines that they're given, they come across as TV movie actors. Yeah. And they probably are, actually. Yeah. I mean, this is how some poor some of the characters are. Like, Ewan Bremner's character, I didn't even realise that he was the chemical expert until I read the actual cast list. He's the chemical expert. And I thought he was a photographer who they'd given a shit camera to. I was like, I thought he's meant to be the, like, the photographer documentarian guy. Yeah. Um, but he's not. He's a chemical expert, apparently. The thing is, as well, is we've got this cast of experts in the individual fields. Never does what they are an expert in come into play. I think the only actions. one is uh, Fabio, who I'm going to call Fabio. Oh, yeah. What was it? Sebastian. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah I'm just going to call him Fabio. <laughs> but he's the only one actually does something that he's meant to do yeah. is uh, read the hieroglyphs yeah and that's the only reason they've created that character so they can make him be exposition man for that particular yeah. scene that's the only reason he's there is to read that stuff out 
I mean, the exposition man role does get sort of slightly passed around. It does, yeah. It's Lance Henriksen and then it's Fabio. Not that there is very much exposition in this film anyway. I mean, what the fuck is Lance Henriksen's character even doing there? Why is he even doing this? I don't know. He seems to be into robotics, unsurprisingly, yeah. considering that he looks like Bishop. But there's no attempt made at trying to decipher, one, what his company is. Yeah. He's in robotics, apparently. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never gives you a reason why he wants to do this, other than the fact that he wants to be the first one to do it. Yeah. But there's no inkling in his character that suggests why he would like to do this. And for what reason either afterwards? Like, what, what are you going to do with it afterwards? So his whole thing is that he is into robotics. He is the head of Wayland Industries, Charles bishop yeah. wayland obviously there's no robots though is there there's no yeah, like we never not see even any... like rudimentary stuff exactly like... <laughs> we never see any hint of the synthetics or anything like that you know it would well, have been not, good not if... even that because obviously it's meant to be set in present day but, but there's not even any like scout robots or, like there's nothing but that's what i mean we there's never any mention of that being the future or like uh, yeah, some yeah, very yeah. like crude retrograde version of that you know <laughs> Uh, it's never hinted at it that, like say robotics never comes into play yeah whatsoever and i don't understand why all of a sudden he's interested in finding the next big geological discovery yeah for me it was like bill gates suddenly deciding that he wanted to be the finder of the lost city of atlantis you know <laughs> <laughs> just because yeah just because so that character doesn't make an iota of sense. No. Even the inclusion of Lance Henriksen, an actor that I always like seeing, even in the schlockiest of schlock films. Yeah, he's giving a paycheck-worthy performance. He really is. And they never really offer an actual explanation as to why it's him either. No. Because he's just there because it's continuity. Yeah. That's and we've it. already seen the person that Bishop is based on. I know that there is some chatter amongst fans about whether or not the character in Alien 3 is an android or not. But I think the extended edition makes it far more clear. He bleeds blood. Yeah, yeah. He's not synthetic and he is the guy that these synthetics are based on. He's yeah, the, yeah. the maker. So it doesn't make sense no. for Charles Bishop Whalen, but it's always good to see Lance Henriksen. Mm-hmm. It's a shame he isn't given a name-worthy death. Because it could be argued now that he has been killed by... An alien, a predator, and a terminator. Ooh. Even though Ripley was the last person to really turn him off in Alien 3. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll still give him that. Mm. I think as well, I remember um, when Alien vs. Predator Requiem came out, they offered a role to Bill Paxton. He passed on it outright. <laughs> And rightly so. I've just got this like note on when you were talking about Hunter's Moon and they all laugh about it. It's ha 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 ha. <laughs> snuff, 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 snuff. Even though the film is choppy as fuck, it rushes through that first act so quickly, even though it still feels like an age before we actually yeah. get to the Alien vs. Predator fighting. You get scenes like that that go on just a beat too far or end a beat too soon. It's like you're clearly given the point to end on an ominous note with the Hunter's Moon line and instead you let them idiotically start laughing at it for reasons unknown i don't know why yeah, it's funny yeah i mean in the theatrical version yeah in the moment the fox logo comes up to the point that the team is gathered it's a uh, six and a half minutes <laughs> no time wasted and i think they even get into the team within like the 20 minute mark colin salmon is everywhere it's yeah. like i'm over here I'm over here. He may as well be cloned like for the amount of times he's like, I'm here. And, yeah. oh, I'm here for this character. I'm here for this character. So uh, disorientating, mm-hmm. I think, when, when you watch that beginning. And one thing that we haven't hit head on, which we need to, is the fact that this film is actually based on Earth. And it's one yeah. that John Davis is actually... Uh, pushed for that it should be based on present day Earth, which I imagine would have been for budgetary reasons mm. anyway. Is it me or does that just completely undo 
everything that Ripley strives for in the Alien series. Yeah. She essentially sacrifices herself to stop the alien from ever reaching Earth. And Alien vs. Predator, as a prequel... all along. (laughs) Yeah, posits the idea that they've been here for centuries, thousands of years, as part of a hunt, and have been controlled as such for years. It completely renders her death and sacrifice redundant. And it completely gets rid of any of their mystery as well. Yeah. Even on that level, you just... If you take this film as canon, you are irreversibly already damaging the series from the very first frame, the very first shot of Earth. But one thing I do like is the very first shot, which um, is that satellite alien reveal. Oh, really? I I just write in my night's fake CGI ship. Oh, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was um, a clever shot, like just the the reveal of an alien and it turns out to be a satellite. I think it's... It's probably the only part in the film that has a twist. Yeah. You think you know what you're looking at, and it turns out to be something completely different. Yeah, yeah. I must have blinked and missed it, I think. <laughs> I have got a notepad just full of these micro points that are just like, oh my god, why did they do that? And the other one is, is it me, or does the entire alien life cycle happen within 10 minutes? Oh, yeah. I, I think they spend all of an hour in that temple. <laughs> yeah. Like, the whole, the whole film <laughs> the takes whole place battle, in an yeah. hour. Yeah. Like, the film pretty much takes place in real time. Yeah, we get told by one character that this pyramid reconfigures itself every 10 minutes as part of the Predator hunt. Within one of those configurations, just a single configuration, a group of people are face-hugged, impregnated, they give birth to the chestburster, and then that grows into an adult, all before the next configuration. That's bonkers. Yeah. And again, nothing meaningful is made out of that premise that the, the whole no. thing resets every 10 minutes. It kind of just forgets about it, other than a couple of things moving. It doesn't really make much of a thing out of that. I named this the Crystal Skull Maze. <laughs> I actually, um, I like that idea on paper. Yeah. I like it when it begins that it's not just them running through a pyramid. It's essentially reshaping the entire time, mm-hmm. so there is no way out. I think that's a cool way to get people trapped inside this environment yeah. rather than, than even like the likes of Prometheus where they have a map and they still get lost inside the alien yeah. ship. Yeah, I yeah. like that this place has reconfigured itself to trap these individuals inside and it continues to do so. So they have always lost their bearings. However, it does nothing with that. No. It does nothing with that. I think it's just an excuse for them to continue to reuse the same sets and just change the walls around. That That's obvious what they've done as well. Yeah. It's not even it's like, no, we're not even speculating. That's probably what they've done. Actually, they've got a few walls on and, wheels. And actually, they would never do really ever come across as truly being trapped inside there. Because no. actually, when they decide that it's time to escape, once she meets up with the Predator... They just fuck off. It's because the Predator has a map. Oh, it does, doesn't it? No, I'm just saying, like, jokingly, like, he's just yeah. got a map. Like, he's just r- getting out a bit of paper. <laughs> like, it's like, like oh, this is where it is. Yeah. yeah. He does have a holographic map, but we never see him look at it no. once. And they just, yeah, we got the bomb scene, of course, <laughs> the hand bomb gesture. I just have the scene where he gets out his glasses and goes, hmm, where are we now? Yeah. <laughs> like a tourist pamphlet yeah like a little theme park for predators and it's like oh here we are <laughs> item 38 here's where the cafe is <laughs> <laughs> toilets here the pred calf <laughs> I, I think and i really need to move past the script because it's only just going to make my well, there's, there's nothing much to say to, about to the really script because about it. i mean it's so bare bones but some of those bones are missing i mean let's move on to like, the actual meat of the film, whatever meat there is, because there's very little to chew on mm. here. It's all gristle. Regurgitated. Let's hit the title head on. Yeah. Alien vs. Predator. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing as well. This is a film, like I said, that's inherently schlocky, but it's not good schlock. 
And that's yeah. because even on a base B movie level, it fails to deliver. Yeah. Because the Alien vs. Predator action is not good. It builds up to it in the version I watched. I remember the theatrical rushes to it a lot quicker. But it builds up to it as the centerpiece of the film. I think in the version I watched, it's 40 minutes before they actually begin fighting. And when it happens, you welcome it. You're like, oh, thank fuck. It's, you know, <laughs> at least we're going to see some good monster action. I think they describe it as well as like, oh, yeah, we're trying to be like the first alien where it takes ages to get to it. And it's like, yeah, but you're not filling that first 40 minutes with anything of any worth whatsoever. <laughs> but um, they just simply roll about the floor on each other for a while. Yeah. It's more of like a, a wrestle. Mm -hmm. It's not an action scene that has particular beats where then this happens and that happens. It's just the same thing repeating and the same kind of like grappling each other and oh, I must move out of the way of the alien's tail and stuff like that. I think the only times. thing I liked was the bit where um, you see the alien's head come away because it's cut the alien's head in two. Oh, yeah. And it slowly slides off. Very um, equilibrium style. Yeah. That is the only thing I can remember from the fights. Yeah. Again, it's that Batman v Superman thing as well. For a film that's going to be about this versus this there's very little of this of versus, versus this yeah. and anything you do see apart from a couple of little bits and pieces it's very uh, routine and, and mm -hmm. shot in a very unimaginative way and there shouldn't be any sort of noble choreographing but anything that there is is just it's very unmemorable yeah, it's it's clunky. Yeah. It doesn't flow. No. And uh, the music as well doesn't really help things because it's just kind of dreary at times. Mm. It's got none of the punch of the scores that it's following, really. Mm. I don't think the set design helps that much, though, as well, because, I mean, you've got the pyramids, but it literally is like they've had a couple of walls yeah. that they've moved around. There's no distinction from one bit of the temple to another. And yes. it's very, like, everything's monotone. Like, there's no variety. I'd say that's my real issue with that temple. Is like I say, once you get into the um, position of moving it about constantly, you just get a feeling that they are just moving a few walls mm. between They're shots. Just moving flats, and you're just seeing the same set time yeah. after time yeah. after time, and it doesn't really hide it well enough. No, like I say, it wastes that idea, that central core, that this reconfiguring pyramid can become anything at any time. It just feels like the same. When you think how varied like the Giga ship is, yes, and then also compare it to how colourful Predators can be, it's surprising yeah. how dull and monotone everything is. One thing I will give Paul Anderson props for is that I think he is chasing some type of scope with this film with very little money. I like that he's using a mix of like miniatures mm. and, and for instance I like the reveal of the temple and under the ice you know with the flares. I think he has a sense of with action he knows how to get us in and out of a scene. I like how it moves into the uh, predator holograms and then into the pyramid and stuff like that. Oh yeah like, that's a really oh, good Those scene are really with the map. interesting transitions and yeah. they're also typical of Paul W. Sanderson films. He really likes to play with those type of transitions. All that is really interesting but he really drops the ball when it actually comes to the action as well. And what did you think of the looks of the creatures themselves? I mean the Predators looked fine when they had the masks on but then as soon as you saw them without the mask they looked like some sort of Halloween version of it like you know like a Halloween mask version they look so fake it's a, it, it looks very rubber yeah it's like the skin it doesn't fit it's like loose over it yeah it's yeah. like got um, kinks in it it's like they've clearly not made a material to stretch or yeah. it's stretched too far and mm. won't take its original shape anymore mm. it's like this looks really fake and really rubber 
I have real issue with the look of the predators in this film, and it's not just the usual one that people bring up. I'm which pretty is, sure there's a shot where you can see inside its mouth, and it's just you can see where the rubber ends. Yeah, like, there's no throat. Yeah, it's just like this. She does that's where the tongue is. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see the fucking seam, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the aliens are probably not as bad as the predators. But yeah, they do look, well, I think you said they are reused from Resurrection, so they have that same look. They're just repainted. They repainted yeah. the Alien Resurrections, which were originally brown. Yeah. They just repainted them to be black yeah. and changed the legs. And they're kind of fine in themselves, but I think the um, Predators come through more in this film than the Aliens do, actually. Mm. Like, I remember the Predator stuff more. Yeah. The Aliens are just strangely anonymous. Yeah. And even the Queen is just very boring mm-hmm. i suppose which is weird to say when you're talking about alien i think the absolute idea of alien even in with this film is the the flashback to the aztec pyramid when it's overrun with the aliens and there's yeah. millions of them i'm just like that that's not what alien's about no i mean that's that's what this series essentially relegates the alien to which is just to a bug well, yeah they're just big ants aren't they yeah like any kind of subtext any kind of depth that can be mined out of the series is completely undone with shots like that. Because if we look at the Alien series and what the Alien represents, in the first one it's sexual terror and um, and a whole host of other sexual identity related mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And then in the sequel, in some way they represent like a twisted version of motherhood. Yeah. And um, and it's nature versus technology and stuff like that. There's still some depth there. In Alien Three, it's like AIDS. Yeah. It's the AIDS crisis, it's sexually transmitted diseases, it's uh, that whole thing. And then in, even in Alien Resurrection, a film that is far more schlocky than I would like the series to be, even then you still have scenes like the newborn being sucked out of the window of the spacecraft, which is like almost a reference to abortion. Yeah, it's just yeah there's like always some sort of the mother. Yeah, and in this film you don't have any of that. There's no subtext at all. It's all gone out yeah. of the window, like the newborn. And instead, it's just used as an ant. They're just meant to punch things. Yeah, I really hate how the queen was like unfrozen and just brought out yeah. to be used. That's not how aliens are supposed to be. Yeah. Like, I never got what, with the backstory of this film, did the Predators create the aliens for their own uses or were they from something else that they found? I, I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was. But even so, yeah. there's no way that... The aliens would be the predators playthings. And it's like already reduced the threat of it because for centuries they have been controlling them. And effectively. And yeah. by the end of this film, they've continued to effectively control the aliens. Yeah. The threat is diminished so much. Mm. But yeah, I, I like aspects of the alien queen. I like the fact that they actually made another one. Yeah. I don't like that it essentially looks like a T-Rex. Like, it's it's used in, in the manner that the T-Rex was in Jurassic yeah, Park, yeah. rather than... The thing is about James Cameron's Queen is it moves in a very awkward manner, and that's because it was designed to move like something that was only supposed to sit in its ass and give yeah. birth to yeah, eggs. Yeah. It's a purposeful uh, design choice yeah. to make it move in such an alien... Well, it's part of the story. That's yeah. the whole point. It's way. Always come back to that. Whereas in this, in AVP, they don't have that problem whatsoever. It runs like a T-Rex. It runs like a... like, like it, That's what it was supposed to do. Well, so it runs more like a turkey, to be honest. But <laughs> I think that's another like Nadia yeah. of the series is any of the running shots with the alien queen just look fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. There's no way that like is that meant to be scary? So like, mm-hmm. it just looks funny. I do have a piece of trivia, one that is not often reported. 
One piece that is, is that James Cameron ranks this as his third favourite alien film following Aliens. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, another one that was mentioned in the um, issue of Empire that was released on the month of this film's release was that Paul W. Sanderson said that as he went into production with the film, he got a memo off James Cameron that said, don't fuck up the Queen. And that's like simply all he said as advice was please don't fuck up the queen and apparently after james cameron has seen the film he called paul davis anderson personally and said thank you for doing the queen justice and i can't believe that no i can't believe watching the film that he would think that but he says he's very um i would say diplomatic about it when he talks about it he recognizes that there is a gulf in quality between alien and aliens and then the rest of them Mm. but he kind of approaches it as a video game movie is Mm. what he said and he he likes it in that regard but i really think they do a disservice to the queen in this film definitely the other thing we haven't talked about is the fucking terrible face huggers and chest bursters. Bullet time face huggers. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I think that's the moment as well that you realise that even on a creature level, this is not going to be good. Yeah. This wholeheartedly has both the worst face huggers and the worst chest burster scenes in the whole of yeah. the series. Yes, absolutely. The chestburster scenes in the previous films are shown as being a real painful, torturous thing that happens to people. You know, it's a it's agony. In this, it happens in an almost an instant. And the chestburster itself doesn't. If you can tell, it's just on a rod, just being poked out. It doesn't have any moving parts. And then you got some really badly CGI rendered ones as well. And, and it's bloodless as well. Oh, everything's bloodless in this film. Yeah. The chestburster that happens almost immediately after is terrible for that. There's nothing gut-wrenching about it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that go, oh no, oh. Yeah. There's nothing that makes you feel uncomfortable. It's just, oh, it's just come out of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you squeezed a spot. I think it's a folly. I don't think that you could ever make an alien film with a pg-13 rating they clearly did with this film but it suffers because of that rating and because the rating would mean that you have to decontextualize yeah, I mean, it, to make a pg-13 version of alien means abandoning all subtext and once you abandon the subtext it just becomes any monster movie exactly and this is just another monster movie at the end mm-hmm. of the day and it's not even a particularly good monster movie no no it isn't I think one of the reasons that the Predators look the the way that they do is because, one, like we said earlier, with the aliens, they just used an old mold and reused it and repainted it. So all that was already there. All the hard work had already been done. And because they were working on a very strict budget, when it actually came to the Predators, I think the reason it looks so rubbery is because it's rushed. Mm. And that's why it looks like a Halloween mask. But also, some of the direction has to be thrown into the mix because Paul Dirk Sanderson actually asked ADI, Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis. Mm. Gillis? Yeah, Gillis. I almost always say Alec Guinness. (laughs) Alec Guinness. Yeah. They were requested to make the Predator more relatable as a protagonist. And the word that he used is romantic. He wanted to romanticize the Predator, Mm. make it a romantic lead. I actually think that they get rid of most of the alienness to do with this hunter and turn him into a samurai figure. Yeah. Even though both creatures, I would say, are completely mishandled, it's clear to me that Anderson is a alien fan more than he is a predator because he does away with all like design elements. Even the um, design of the spacecraft has changed completely. It's been kind of modernized to fit a more sleeker... It's made more flashy, I guess. Mm. And really, the Predator isn't a Predator. 
No. It has none of those alien qualities anymore. Whereas at least you can say that, oh, well, the aliens look like they did from a previous film. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, you've got that fight scene in which one alien kills two predators. Yeah, that confused me as well as how many predators there were, because it seemed like there were three, but then at other times I felt like there were more. Yeah. Like, the film itself was confused as who was alive and who wasn't. In the novelization of the film that was released six months before the film was released... It's actually revealed that the original script, the original Paul W. Sanderson scripts had five predators. Mm. And I have a feeling that was toned back when Shane Salerno came on board and all the studio notes were implemented and it became far less violent and they pulled back on the actual action of the film. And I actually think this is a budgetary reason. Is mm. They couldn't have so many predators on screen at once because it was costing them. So they yeah. just do the cheap thing, which is kill off two of them in one... Like, they kill two birds with one stone, essentially. Yeah, they do, yeah. And I think that also makes them confused about the Predator as well, because quite a large section of the film, it seems like, oh, the Predators are just pushovers, and yet they win at the end of the day, and then they regain control. Yeah. And it's like, are they weak or are they strong? It didn't seem to have a clear through yeah. line as to what these creatures were. There are many through lines that are actually like thrown out the window as well. We never get an, a satisfying conclusion to the grid alien either. No. It's clear that he was meant for more. Mm. In fact, the concept artwork shows that he was. Originally, the concept artwork that he brought in, the Patrick Totopoulos work, it had the alien queen and the grid alien and a couple of others attacking Lex and the Predator on the surface. Mm. And it's clear that for budgetary reasons, they had to cut all that shit out. Mm. And so we don't get any conclusion to grid alien. It's clear that it was meant for more. Mm. We just assume that he got killed in the blast with everybody else. Yeah, There are little setups like that that just go nowhere in this film. And even the setup of Bovatoya Island itself, which I thought was a decent looking set. I thought mm. that, yeah, that yeah. was one of the best sets in the film. They do fuck all with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have this very interesting set. Use it for some action. I think the only thing that we get is the queen goofily bumps into a water tower. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it like at that. the end of it. Yeah, it just starts yeah. headbutting it. Uh, I mean, there's so many goofy moments that it's like it's almost like a parody of an alien film. Oh, it definitely like, feels you have, that like, like the worst ones, the chestburster that comes out of Fabio. <laughs> that the, 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 uh, the predator grabs. Yeah. You get sort of projectiles out of him and then... And it just breaks it with its thumb. Yeah. It's, it's so cheap. I mean, it's funny, but not in a good way. I'd say that's just the film's saving grace is that I... I laughed a few times at the film. Yeah, not with it. Not, never with it. <laughs> never with it. To be honest, this whole film is just personified with our friend Aiden's, and I think you've done it as well. There's just the, the bomb action. That's my memory of this film. It's just yeah. you guys doing that, going, and I was waiting for it as well. Like, when, 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 oh, he's he's going to do it. That's Predator brought down to yeah. the lowest level possible. The other shot that always gets me as well, that always makes me laugh, is the um, Batman and Robin shot. The silhouetted shot of the Predator and Lex running from the fire. Oh, yeah. If you put the Batman theme over that... Oh, yeah, that's it. I've got it written down as my notes as goofy fire running silhouettes. Is the Batman shot. We've not even talked about the fucking sword and shield made out of alien parts. Oh, that would have just burnt through her. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've got this alien head as my shit. Oh, shit, my arms just fell off. Oh, that would have been brilliant. Yeah. It has so many inconsistencies when it comes to acid blood as well. Oh, yeah. It's like the spear that the Predator has is apparently acid blood proof, yet the chains that they fucking tied up the alien queen in aren't yeah i was like that would be something that you would want to be acid blood proof surely yeah and that's also, a design flaw <laughs> and also the wrist blades yeah 
For if you're going to be punching aliens with your wrist blades out, you want them to be able to withstand a couple of blows. Yeah. There are some like jarring inconsistencies, even when it comes to its in-world law. Well, it was written on napkins, guys. <laughs> In shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's always my go-to. In shit. <laughs> Just going back to the thing we were talking about after we'd watched it as well, was this is how little the film cares about its characters is that we have that whole scene with you and Bremner and the guy from Gladiator with the scars. Tommy Flanagan. Yeah, Tommy Flanagan. And takes a whole scene up with them talking about how they have kids and that makes it worth trying to survive this thing. And then moments later, they're both dragged off to their deaths or to be cocooned. Yeah. And it's just, in any normal film, they would have made these characters hang on as long as possible. Yeah. And made us follow them for as long as possible to, to the point we wanted them to get out. Yeah. And they made it all the worse that they got dragged off. But the fact that he just does it straight away, what was the point in even having that dialogue exchange? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they set them up as all meat puppets to be eaten or destroyed. Yeah, yeah. The film cares so little about its characters and what they're doing that why even bother with that? It's such an afterthought to just try and yeah. make them relatable. It's like, oh shit, they're going to die in the next scene and we still haven't made them relatable. All right, all right, let's let's get some stuff into this scene. Quick, 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 quick. Not even half-assed, it's less than that. Yeah, so. it's transparent as well yeah. what's happened and what they've done. In the words of Vic Reeves, very poor. Poor. Very poor. Just before we move on to the stats and facts Thank then, God because I think Jesus. we are running Christ. out of things. Uh, the last thing that I have to mention is I can't believe you almost kissed a predator. Yeah. Did you did you see it with the um Is that is that in the unrated? The the exchange at the end where he marks her face and it's all a oh, bit yeah. too romantic and yeah, staring it's a little bit like lovingly into each other's eyes. It's a bit S and M, isn't it? Mm-hmm. A kinky. If a predator goes down on a woman, is it considered lesbian sex? <laughs> you know, he's pussy face. I'm just saying, just throwing it out mm. there, guys. That's one to debate on our Facebook page. Yeah. Get your grandma's it's involved. It's definitely pussy on pussy action. Going exactly, and that doesn't count. But it's like you've got the pussy, but with the fingers as well. <laughs> so you've got like you've got double fun. No, that's that's to that's to lock in. Yeah. To to really lock in. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that's. Funny. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, know. at least they didn't go. I mean, I, actually, no, they do. They try and do. The, you're one ugly motherfucker, don't they? Yeah, but they had to cut it out because they yeah. can't use fuck in that oh. capacity it's within a PG-13 yeah. movie. You can say fuck as in exclamation fuck. Yeah. You know, as in oh look what's yeah. fucking happened. Yeah. But you it, can't say fucker as in to imply sex. Yeah. It's diad four all over again. It really is. Yeah. If you can't use your iconic line in a movie because of the rating, it shouldn't be that rating. No. <laughs> Okay, so now that we face these fearsome foes, it's time for us to brush off the acid blood and dress our plasma cannon wounds as we look back to when Alien v Predator hit the cinema screens. Was it a box office success for all that is wrong with cinema? Did critics pull their punches? It's time for the stats and facts. Okay, so first up we have the critics response, the critical response to this film when it was first released in 2004. First release, like it was ever released again. It's been released. Quickly forgotten. Anniversary release. I have the steelbook version of this film. Oh. I know. I don't own this film at all. <laughs> I own both of them. Um, they're both god-awful. So this film has a unsurprisingly low score of 21%. And has an average rating of 4 out of 10. The critics' consensus is that it's gore without scares and cardboard cutout characters make this clash of the monsters a dull sit. And when I first read that, I thought it said a dull shit. <laughs> I was like, that is spectacularly on point. 
Um, the audience score is 39%, which I would say is about right, with an mm-hmm. average rating, which, again, is always shockingly high with these things, of 3.0 out of 5. And that's after 429,000 ratings. <laughs> Empire gave the film 2 out of 5. Um, this is a review from William Thomas, who I think we have used in the past. Mm-hmm. And he says, It's obvious Anderson has great love for the franchise he's crossbreeding. And he peppers the movie with little in-jokes and knowing winks. But watching him reference the likes of Scott Cameron and McTiernan is like watching a loudmouth kid trying to join in with the grown-up. <laughs> it's initially entertaining. <laughs> It's initially entertaining, then embarrassing, and finally, just plain annoying. Unless, of course, you're a loudmouth kid yourself. (laughs) So he says, fans beware, your fave two sci-fi franchises have been stripped of all their guile and maturity. It may offer the occasional treat, but AVP is sadly devoid of any real thrills. And I think he actually touches on something that, again, I forgot to mention as a positive we now live in a world in which we are getting these nostalgia trip films coming out that are littered with references to mm-hmm. remember what you could be watching. And Terminated Genesis is one of them. Alien vs. Predator Requiem is even worse. I actually think that many of the references in this film, there's a couple that are genuinely clever. I liked the nod to the talking helmets in Alien with the Predator helmets. Mm. And a hologram is playing across the faces of the Predator helmets. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I liked that as a nod to Alien because I can justify it within its own world. The yeah, film hasn't yeah, gone yeah. out of its own way to do this. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of shots as well, like when Ewan Bremner passes by one of the shacks and there's the flare of his light passes through the room like the laser at the beginning of Aliens moving through the mm-hmm. Narcissus, I think it's called, that spacecraft. Yeah, yeah. I was like, where Ripley is in hypersleep. It was like, there's a couple of nods like that where it's like, they work in world. But yeah, I'd, I'd say there's very little beyond that, really. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the of the thing going on there as well in, the, in those, in, yes. the, in the winter yeah, sequences. There is, yeah. Anyway, especially with the flares. My second review is a positive one from The Guardian, and Ooh. they refer to Alien vs. Predator as my favourite guilty pleasure. I had to use this review, um, and you'll see why. <laughs> There's a touching scene near the end of Alien vs. Predator when an eight feet tall, fang-faced predator using the acidic blood from a severed finger of an alien facehugger, it tenderly scorches a mark of courage (laughs) and respect onto the cheek of the last human survivor. She grimaces as her skin burns, and then their eyes meet across the great expanse of space and time that separates both cultures, and then they kiss. (laughs) Or they would have... If the Queen Alien hadn't eviscerated the woman's new friend with the pointy end of her tail. And there ends the almost birth of a new movie genre, the interspecies rom-com. I really like that review. (laughs) It's obviously like jokingly. Yeah, yeah. But it's a a great review. That's from The Guardian. I'd say I'd definitely recommend reading it. I had a good laugh actually reading the entire thing. And uh, my last point of note is that on IMDb, this is a 5.4 out of 10 rating, which... um, I would say it's a series low, but it's not as low as Alien vs. Predator Requiem. No. Which I think has something like 4.7 or 8. Yeah. That the series ever got onto the wrong side of 5. I love the motivation behind making Requiem as well, because they didn't like this film. Yeah. It's the Brother Strauss or whatever they're called. But at the same time, it's Alien vs. Predator Requiem was made as a response to Alien vs. Predator, and it's a um, dour critics and fan reaction mm. even the title avpr is i'm saying it's going to be r-rated this time mm. even its title hinges on the fact that you're going to get a lot of gore in it but they forgot to actually make a good film it's still yeah. by <laughs> the same producer tom rothman and yep. it still bears all of his faults mm-hmm. so anyway moving on to the box office just how did this film perform 
when it was released. Did audiences flock in their droves? They kind of did, but like he wasn't ridiculously enthusiastic either. Yeah. I mean, its budget, uh, like you were saying before, it was reported at being between 60 and 80. I mean, that might even be with just the marketing stuff on it. I, I think so. Um, yeah. But the actual budget was probably below 50 million. I do think that's where Anderson excels. He knows how to maximize his budget. And he filmed the entire film in Prague as well, which had a booming industry at the time. This film had a budget of under 50 million, which was less than Alien 3. And that was made almost like 10 years before. So I think that's always to bear in mind what he was working with here. And I think also you begin to understand just why the creatures themselves look quite as cheap as they do. Yeah. So, yeah, based on its sort of 50 million budget, it did okay. So its domestic total was around about 80 million. Yeah. And its foreign was about 92. So almost half and half domestic and foreign there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's fairly respectable. Mm-hmm. Not amazing, but respectable. Yeah. Well, it's more than the film deserves. Oh, yeah. But also less than what they should be making with these yeah. characters. Considering that they're combined. Yeah. You know, obviously, you're going to get fans who like both, but you're going to get fans of both series mm-hmm. coming to watch this film. Yeah, and it's opening weekend, it made around about 38 million. Yeah, that's almost half of its entire taking. Yeah, so it had no repeat value whatsoever. Yeah. Like, see, it's 47.7% of its total gross. And yet it was in release for 112 days. So, again, it's one of those ones where they try and rake it back as much as possible. And, yeah, interesting uh, week that it opened on. It did actually open to number one with, obviously, the aforementioned 38 million. At number two, we have Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement. And that made nearly class. 23 million in its first week. So, yeah, it was number one by quite a fair margin, actually. Yeah. And then we have the Michael Mann vehicle Collateral, a film I like, but I hate the fact that it's shot on a really shit digital camera. I love Collateral. I, I don't yeah. mind the digital feel of it. I like that it feels a bit homemade. Yeah, homemade. it's not so bad on that one. I think it Public Enemies, that's where it really didn't work because it didn't work for the period. Yeah, yeah, so, agree. yeah, I don't want it too much, but it's still like, it still detracts in a kind of very much a Star Wars prequel way. It's like, ooh. It wasn't, but I think you needed the films like that to kind of I suppose, yeah. put the foundations in. Somewhere. And I say it's definitely the best of the bunch of those early digitally shot films. And at least it feels more appropriate to the period. Yeah. With that yeah. One. I, I do think Michael Mann's actually he's got worse with it as the <laughs> technology's got better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've got, I've never heard of this film before, but it sounds very intriguing. You've got uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Movie. Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! It's one of those Pokemon derivatives. Oh, is it? Yeah. Moving on. We've got The Born Supremacy. Ah. At number five, and that was in its fourth week. Mm -hmm. So still hanging in there. And then we've got uh, that M. Night Shyamalan classic, The Village. Oh, yeah. At number six. That was the uh, the beginning of the end. Yeah, the beginning of the shit twist. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't mind The Village, but it is certainly one of his downslope films. Yeah, it's the start of the downward spiral, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Uh, then you've got the remake of The Manchurian Candidate at number seven. I, Robot, at number eight in its fifth week. Mm-hmm. That was like I think that's one of those films that was talked about a lot when it came out, and then it's kind of left very little impact. Yeah, I think it's definitely on our list, because yeah, it yeah. wasn't a bad film, but it's one of those films where um, Alex Proyas, the director, uh, pretty much disowned it outright in the moment yeah, it was yeah. released. And even so, there were elements of it that I really enjoyed when it came out, but I struggled to remember much about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Other than Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Um, would be fantastic. Was, I think that was the element that everyone went on about at the time, but yes. then it's kind of been superseded by yeah. much better things as time's gone on. And he essentially does look like an Apple robot, actually. Thinking about <laughs> yeah, he now. does. And then we've got um, 
Little Black Book at number nine. Fair enough. I don't know <laughs> I what that is. I've heard of it. Um, no. And then we've got Spider-Man 2 in its seventh week at number 10. The best Spider-Man film. Yep. The best Spider-Man mm-hmm. film. It's still possibly my favorite comic book film of all time. I actually... No, you know what? I'm going to say it outright. It's my favorite comic book film of all time, Spider-Man 2. Ooh. As, as like a comic book adaption. Mm-hmm. I think The Dark Knight's also fantastic, but it feels like more like a gritty crime film. Yeah, as it is. As a comic yeah. book film that embraces what comic books are about, Spider-Man 2 is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Bit of a tangent there, but yeah, yeah. I relish the opportunity to talk about a good film yeah, for yeah. just a moment. Yeah, I like Spider-Man 2. It's definitely one of the better ones. Like I say, you know, you know how I feel about comic book films anyway, so... yeah. I think it's like Sam Raimi at his blockbuster peak. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't recaptured it yet. No. Well, I don't think Spider-Man's recaptured it yet. We'll see what happens with this new one, I suppose. And then we get to the worldwide totals for the Alien series as a total. This This is just for the Alien series, so we've not got any Predator films in here. And this is unadjusted. Alien v Predator is number two on the list but again that is you're talking a long period of time with these films and unsurprisingly it's the most recent one that is the biggest yes so yeah you got prometheus at number one alien v predator at number two and there's a big drop off between prometheus and alien v predator as well it's over half oh yeah you can say what you want about the faults of prometheus but the fact that it made that amount of money and it was r-rated as well Mm-hmm. was quite an achievement, I think, at the time. Yeah. I think the thing with Prometheus that people forget to realise is the thing that they do is they always compare it to Alien. Yeah. And the thing I always say is you're jumping so far ahead there, you need to look at what the series is recovering from. Yeah. And Prometheus was made with still Tom Rothman in charge at 20th mm-hmm. Century Fox. So he's still struggling against that machine. Yeah. And it's not just a step up from the Alien vs. Predator films. It's a leap and a bound. Yeah. And I just hope that they make further yeah. leaps with the cover. Well, now they don't have Tom Rothman behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah. So let's see what they can do. Yeah. And also they can learn from the mistakes that they made with Prometheus yes. as well. Because they have referenced them. But um, anyway, and then after that, you've got... Um, it's almost in reverse order. You've got Alien Resurrection, Alien 3, Aliens, Alien vs. Predator Requiem, slumming out at the near the bottom. Yeah. And then you got Alien. But again, this is unadjusted, so you're going backwards anyway. Yeah, and if you were to adjust it, you'd probably be flipping it over the other way. Especially when you're comparing budgets against yeah. grosses as well. Yeah, when we go for worldwide unadjusted for the Predator series, it's pretty much the same story. So you've got AVP at number one, and then you've got Requiem at number two. Then you have Predators at number three although i think that was even smaller budgeted than it the was AVP films. it was well i think it shared a similar budget to alien vs predator requiem i think I yeah think it was yeah. around the 40 million dollar yeah. mark and then yeah you got predator and then predator 2 at the bottom so which is fair to say that the predator series other than the first one hasn't been a money maker but i think it makes a lot in merchandise yeah we haven't got the adjusted one for the alien series but we do have it for the predator series just yeah. to sort of show exactly how this actually pans out so when it is adjusted for inflation the number one film is predator still i mean avp is actually still at number two which shows you the size of the drop-off yeah in the predator series because really the predator series unlike alien series it's only really got one film of any worth yeah in it it's one of those film series that really should have they should have just stopped after the first yeah because the first one is an action masterclass and everything else has been a bit schlocky since but uh, again i am actually genuinely looking forward to the new one which is something i'd never thought i'd say (laughs) so we'll see and they've got adi back as well to atone for their sins on avp and and this is not the end of the tale where adi is concerned uh, no it is not to be continued in the (laughs) next episode (laughs) yeah we're doing an adi double hitter yeah 
So, I guess we are coming towards the end of our episode, and all that's left for me to ask is the two questions I ask at the end of every Best Forgotten episode, and that is, first up, are you any closer to understanding why Alien vs. Predator has been forgotten? And I think I'll throw out mine first, which is, yes, I absolutely do understand, because it does a disservice to both franchises, and as I said at the beginning, ultimately, it seems like, as it became clear that this was not going to make money in terms of longevity which is something that Tom Rothman, for some reason or another, never has in mind. Mm. They essentially shot themselves in the foot before they even started filming by going with this series, by going in this particular direction. Fortunately, both series have recovered and moved on since, and these are almost being treated like an afterthought now. Yeah, they really are the the run to the litter. Yeah. I think the main thing as well, this has got nothing either fan of the series that it parodies in a way can enjoy because it's so fucking vapid. Yes. Again, it pissed me off even from five minutes in. <laughs> See, I've had a long time to deal with it. I'm not as angry about this film because I've had a long time to deal with it and to. Um, Thing is, I knew it. it was bad, but even then, it's like, oh shit, this doesn't yeah. care about anything. Mm-hmm. It's so non-committal. And ultimately, as well, like I say, I just don't think Alien vs Predator works on a film level. It ultimately means diminishing one or the other. And this one, they do both. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, is Alien vs. Predator one of the best of the forgotten movies, or should it simply remain best forgotten? I think this is easy. I think this is a very easy one. I'm I'm going to answer this question with silence. (laughs) Yeah, insert your own answer here. (laughs) What Uh, do you think? (laughs) So yeah, this is a best forgotten movie. And that's all we have time for in this week's episode of Best Forgotten Movies. Be sure to like, share and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at B4Movies, so please do get in touch with suggestions for possible episodes. Also, if you have the time to help us continue to grow our fanbase, please rate and subscribe to our podcast page found in the iTunes store. Join us next time as we attempt to absorb the body horror film that is The Thing. No, not that one. The other one. The other one. The far worse one. The Thing 2011. But until then, this is Gareth and Andy, last surviving members of the Best Forgotten Movies podcast. Where's my character gone? Game over, man. Game over. Thanks for listening. <laughs>